friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Tim and Friends counting down to what feels like it could be an old school. High-flying, kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing, son-of-a-gun kind of Western Conference fun. Is that canary yellow that you're wearing over there? What, I don't know. Is that like a soft yellow, a summer jaune, yellow. if you will? A summer yellow hot day in Toronto. Could That's why records. I decided the first day I'm going to wear a t-shirt on the air is going to be the hottest day literally ever on Sun's out, guns out That's on right. the set of Tim and That's Friends. Right. Let's broke see. broke a record. Actually broke a record. I tomorrow. heard, yeah. yeah. It feels like 36 yeah. today Hottest or something. Hottest day on May 31st ever. So, it's, hot. it's t-shirt time. No, but that, I'm not, I'm not worried. Like, the, the t-shirt part is not what I'm asking. You're about. just concerned about the color. The color. What the, what the, col- yeah. the color is like a soft. I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good either. I'm just, I'm wondering the choice. Is it a canary yellow? I don't know what a canary yellow is supposed to look like. Okay. Like, like a Tweety Bird. Do you bird, want me to Tweety stop bird, talking about this? Tweety Bird yellow? Do you, do you, I, like it sounds like you really just no, no, want me to no, stop this. No, I, I'm. You I'm walked totally in fun. here. We were we were having a nice back and forth, and I didn't. I, I don't want to step on any toes here. So no. if it's if this is off the record, then no. This is, there's there's look look. If you're not going to help me with my outfit choices, then I'm going to be left to my own. You know? What it's can me. I do? It's me. Yeah. Okay. I'm turning it around on you. Okay. We, we both okay. operate out of the same wardrobe room, yep. and you're not there. Nope. So what can I do? You can I'm just scrambling today. Ask Nadine. I could ask Nadine. Yeah. Well, Nadine always says yeah. he looks fine. Deb. Looks Deb's around. Good. Yeah. Well, yeah. could do that, too. I trust you, though, too. You know. This is a, this is a spring look. I get it. It's right. a summery spring look. Okay. I understand. Fine. No, yeah, I got you. I was just canary yellow. I was just, you know, like what? What tone? I have no idea. I don't <laughs> no. even, yeah, That's I don't right. know. That's right, kids. Game one, Abs and Oilers goes tonight in Denver. 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 local in northern Alberta. But the pregame starts right here with my friend in Canary Yellow and me, Timothy. We'll get you the latest and greatest from Colorado. Lineups, news, analysis. We'll also get you ready for the start of a very important time for the Toronto Blue Jays as they kick off a six-game homestand with the Pale Hose in town. That's White Sox, Pale Hose, White Sox. Great pitching matchup to start it off. Kevin Gossman, Lucas Giolito. Shadavidi will stop by with the latest on the Bluebirds within the hour. And I will tell you why it's go time for the Jays in mere moments in First Things First with my friend Jesse Rubinoff. Also dropping by today, Gene Principe from Hito Turco Glue's favorite venue in all of sports, Ball Arena <laughs> in Denver. Jen Botterill, Mark Spector, and Anthony Caminiti will also drop by to talk about some of the legendary offensive numbers in this series. And four of what? The five, seven, eight, ten, twelve best players in the world. We have four of the best players on planet Earth Mm -hmm. in this series. Lions and Tigers and Bears, oh my. McDavid, McCarr, McKinnon, oh my. And if that weren't enough... How about tennis legend Daniel Nestor on Layla Annie Fernandez and oh yeah, shout out T-Pain and Lil Wayne. We got some goat talk as Rafa and Joker square off at Roland Garros trying never to bring Kool-Aid to the keg party. Tim and friends, your two hours of edutainment begins 
with Rubinoff. I'm not mentioning the shirt again. First things first, so what's up, Cooper Cup? <laughs> well, 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 you might not be mentioning the shirt, but I am going back to the shirt. Okay. Uh, fellas, if you want to just uh, take the computer here, we can try and decide what color shade of yellow uh, logged on to Pinterest. Okay. And I'm looking, I'm looking at it right now. I think it's a, I think it's a lemon yellow. I'm going daffodil. Yeah, I think it's a daffodil. Da- I yeah, I think we're going daffodil on the yellow here. Wow. But yeah, uh, it's not Dijon. I'll tell it's, you that. No, it's, it's not, not it's, butterscotch. Although I love my it's butterscotch. It's nothing with like any dark yellow. It does, so you rule those out. Of, butter, it could be. Banana. You Bana- think banana? Yeah, Sebi? Sebi says banana. It might be yeah. banana. It <laughs> could like, be banana. <laughs> blonde? Jesse, you could be rocking the banana yeah, right now. I'll take it. The banana t-shirt. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Sid would be upset if I he like were that. here right now <laughs> that you had a banana anywhere close to you. Yeah, it does. It actually, yeah, banana it is. You think oh, it's banana? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right, banana. so. I, I didn't even notice banana at first because it's so light compared to all the other ones. All right. On that, uh, sc- whoa, how did you do that? That's, that's a split screen, Jesse. That's very impressive. <laughs> that the producer and Jesse just popped My goodness. This is the magic of television, Jesse, right now. What is going Jesse, on right in the now? control room? Is that, that is exceptional it, execution. Uh, if we're doing pallets here. That is wow. pretty damn close to banana. I'd That's like to banana. see Daffodil if you could continue the no, magic of television. But no, I think it's banana. I think we oh, are, we are right bang in. on. See what I tried to do there? And at least it's not a hammock. Yeah. So let's move on. Okay. Love it. Uh, so that's fun. That's a nice start to the <laughs> Thank Tuesday. Thank you, Sebi. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Four teams remaining in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And tonight the Western Conference Finals gets underway in Colorado. Oilers and Avalanche begins with Hockey Central pregame show on Sportsnet starting at 7.30 Eastern, 5.30 Mountain Time. The Avs were the best team in the West in the regular season, but these are the top two scoring teams in the playoffs with the Oilers sitting at number one with 4.33 goals per game. So how do you like the Oilers' chances in this series? Before I get there, am I the only one, like, really excited by this series? Like, I understand in Edmonton and... Oil country, they are fired up. They have a chance to move on to the Stanley Cup final for the first time in a long time. But am I the only like innocent bystander watching this series and thinking like this is so awesome to have that many really good players on the ice at the same time? So much so that it's got me excited to watch tonight. No. Okay. No, no, no. I think everybody is. I, I think you look at the way both these teams play. How could you not be? It's the star power and the styles. Of play that I think work together to make this. You know, people weren't necessarily expecting the Oilers and Flames series to be as high scoring it was because of the way the Flames play. Correct. But uh, the Avs, as, this, you, as you are seeing on screen, the Avs can can go. This has the potential of being one of the greatest offensive series in a generation. Like anyone who wasn't around, like Jesse Rubinoff, <laughs> during the 80s and maybe the early 90s, has never seen anything like we could get tonight. And that excites me because there is the possibility that this one goes back and forth. It's old school fire wagon. And now you'll know why Ken Reed is so excited about taking it back to that old school. These goals per game may get us in a spot where we are watching something that we have never seen before if you're under the age of, say, 40 or 35. Because... These things don't happen very often. These stars don't align very often. And I just wanted to stop and see if I was the only one because I am really excited to watch this series. And, I mean, listen, if you were to give me the choice to draft the Avs team or the Oilers team, I would probably take Colorado 
They have a lot of depth. They can roll lines at you. And I'm saying that knowing full well that this dude is the greatest player on planet Earth. And that dude even said that this dude is the greatest player on planet yep. Earth. That said, there's been one caveat to all of my Avs talk since the start of this postseason. And I think it's the thing that gives the Oilers a real shot in this series. And that's Darcy Kemper. And you don't do it until you do in the world of sports. Meaning... You can't prove yourself until you get the opportunity. And I don't know how many opportunities Darcy's Kemp, Darcy Kemper's had to play at this level, but I haven't exactly seen Andre Vasilevsky or Igor Shosturkin between the pipes for the Colorado Avalanche. <laughs> and this, because of all the firepower on the ice, could be decided by goaltending. Like, I think if you were to ask me what will decide this series the most, you and I could say McDavid, we could say McKinnon, but a lot of us feel like maybe that's a soft. Maybe there's a soft in this series and that goaltending yep. may decide this series. And I'm sorry, but the 904 save percentage that we've seen from Darcy Kemper, like Mike Smith might be the best goalie in this series. And I know what I'm saying when I say that because it could change at any point. Yeah, the, the, the thing that I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around, and that is a great point, um, Thank you. Mike Smith has allowed three goals or more in seven of 11 playoff games. So it's not like, it, while he does have a better save percentage, it's not like he's been lights out. No. Uh, but he has been better Good. than I think a lot of people probably anticipated uh, heading into the postseason. There were a ton of questions about their goaltending. Still are, but he's winning. But the, yeah, and the offensive style that the Oilers adapted to was going to get them through L.A. Like they had to open up. Yeah. And they had to make sure that they were playing a style that would force L.A. to open up because they could overwhelm them with their skill. And then it seemed like the matchup, and it worked really well against the Flames, was to play another offensive brand of hockey. Do you think we get that offense? Do you think that both teams will say, listen, we got to dance with the ones that brung us and we're going to play this fast-paced game? Or do the coaches start thinking here, maybe we need to kind of tone it down because this team might be the other team that could outgun us. Well, here's what's so interesting about that, because the, the Oilers, since they made the switch with Jay Woodcroft, what they focused in on and got much better at was their defensive play. Yet, that hasn't been necessarily what has gotten them to this point no. in the postseason. Matchups, it's kind so. of contradictory. But at the same time, they are where they are because they have let their offensive stars shine well, I think that's go. I think that's matchups like that's what I was trying to say like mm -hmm. you can overwhelm LA with the talent mm -hmm. and listen LA knows what they're doing they had Philippe Deneau and Andre Kopitar two of the best defensive centers in the league they're mm -hmm. obviously going to try and lock it down so Jay Woodcross looking at that matchup and saying we need to open this up right. that's how we beat that team we can't play 2-1 games against two of the best defensive centers in the league. So I think matchups led to it. And then against Calgary, you don't want to play 2-1 games against Calgary. No, but they did a pretty good job of shutting down the Flames' top line. Now, this is, a, I think, a different challenge maybe because mm -hmm. I guess you could say the Avs are, are deeper than the Flames, although, I mean, not, not really by much uh, based on what we thought of the Calgary Flames. But, but here we sit. You're going to have to figure out a way to stop these two guys that are on the screen right behind me and beside behind you. Yeah, I, just, I just don't know if you can. Yeah. I li it's, you can only hope and, to contain it. And, and that's why everyone's expecting the series to be as high scoring as it is. Oilers 433, you mentioned, number one scoring team it's, in the postseason. Avalanche 
4.3. This is the first conference finals matchup since 1989 with two teams entering with four goals per game or better in the postseason. First since 1989. That's unbelievable. And yet, as I look at Bet Rivers right now, over and under in this game, seven. I thought we might get to a seven and a half here with those two teams. I just circled that. Okay, kids? Just wanted to let you know. I just circled that. Uh, Mention off the top that we've got four of the best, I don't know, five, seven, nine players in the league. And I was messing around with some of my hockey dudes on WhatsApp saying, take both of these lineups and draft your top five in this series in order. And we had some differing opinions, to say the least. So I'd love to go through this with you, Jesse, and with you, Canada. Draft your top five from the player pool available in the Avs and Oilers rosters and give them to me in order because that's the hard part. Don't give them to me in a group of five. I want one, two, three, four and five I can see Jesse out of the corner of my eye frantically writing down so I gave him a little bit more time to get that five in there and by the way you have one of the better eyebrow raises in the game (laughs) perfected it very good yeah solid should use that more often you'll have you'll have more gifts yeah you have a rock like eyebrow raise yeah like that yeah it's impressive. It's just the, but the, the left one can't go up as high as the, the right one. It's oh, it's like always the right one? Yeah. 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 Know your strengths. Yeah. It's okay, hard. give me your top five. Okay. In uh, order. Right now. You're saying like as right of right now. now. Yeah, it's not to start a franchise. Not. Okay. I want you right now how you would draft these two teams in order to play in this series. McDavid. Agreed. I think most people especially after McKinnon said he's the best although that might be gamesmanship and I understand that okay okay so McDavid won McCarr McCarr two Kale McCarr over Drysaddle over if you are on the Avs and Joe Sackick says, I've got to get rid of one of these two players and give you McCarr and McKinnon. You take McCarr over McKinnon. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think both guys, both guys are generational. But I think in the National Hockey League, to have a defenseman that is so superior to everybody else at his position. Defensemen are hard to find. They are hard to find. So are horse-like centermen. Oh, there's no, I mean, look, <laughs> we're, we're splitting hairs here. No, this is the fun of it. I but get this, it. Yeah. I'm with you. And, 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 I might agree with you. Really? Who's three? McKinnon. Leon Dreisaitl <laughs> I know, I know. is I know. tied with I know. McDavid I know. in points in the postseason and he's doing it on what appeared to be a high ankle sprain. I know, but what did you what did you just say? You just said defensemen are hard to find 
and then centers like that. He's a center hard. too. I know, but I, yes, he is. And he, plays he wing. Plays wing a lot of the time. And might be the best passer in the league and has that ridiculous Just one time. Just had a billion okay. points in the series against the players. I get that. <laughs> yeah. Literally a billion yeah. points. Third most points on in a, a series ankle, on a in NHL history. No, I get that. And he did it in five games. Okay, so go hard. ahead. This is so hard. So Four. you go McDavid, McCarr, yeah. McKinnon, yeah. and then Drysaddle, yeah. obviously. Yes. yes. Okay, and then, dry, and then who's your fifth, which is... E- We're running out of time this, here. Oh, that's a shame. Who's your fifth? Rantanen. Miko Rantanen. Yeah. I think he had 92 points. It's Not, hard. Well, he's just a point per game every year. Evander Kane's a goal a game right now. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, understand, <laughs> I understand that. I have a counter to every that. one of these, which makes it... Send them in right now. At I have so Tim many and friends. <laughs> we can I, do this for hours. I want your top five in order... And tell me if you think Jesse's crazy going Makar over McKinnon, but I might agree with him, and I think we both might be crazy, but defensemen are hard to find, and he's really good. Yeah. Um, we're gonna have a, I think, feel like we're going to have a lot of engagement today because we're coupling people sending in their fantasy drafts with hashtag TFPredict. It's back. It's made its debut during the Battle of Alberta. We handed out some hoodies. I'm a friend. If you write into the show, say hashtag TFPredict and predict the final score of tonight's game along with the winner on Twitter. That's how you get in to the contest and you can win that beautiful Look at my schnoz hanging over that hoodie. Yeah, right? yeah. So. I didn't grab that screenshot, by the way. <laughs> no, no, we've done it, done pre- it to I'm you. Gonna you've done it I'm going to protect yeah. myself. <laughs> Protect myself, not predict Hashtag myself. TF predict. Right. Get them in. Give us a score. You have to have the hashtag TF predict so we can trend in Canada. And after me also yeah. because at the end, uh, our digital crew has to click on that to find all of the predictions. So hashtag Tim and Friends predict TF predict. Let's get it Jesse, trending. Let's, let's move on. Let's get it trending today. Okay, yeah. The New York Rangers are off to the Eastern Conference final after beating the Hurricanes last night. 6-2. Anti Ranta left the game in the second period with a groin injury, and the Canes down two zip. While Igor Shosturkin stole the show once again for the Rangers. 37 saves. He's pretty much fully back. It's now a battle between Shosturkin and Andre Vasilevsky in the East. Who you got in that series? Today? I mean, listen. Tampa looks like they are the favorite. That said, Igor Shosturkin might be able to steal that series, right? Yeah. Like, if you listen. They're favored and they're heavily favored in this series. Tampa is. And they are for a reason. Because I almost feel like the Rangers got really lucky here. And I talk a lot about how fine the line can be. Because between the hot takers and the folks giving their locks of the week, the real world exists in the margins. And the Rangers are yet another example of how fine the line can be. In round one, basically, Sidney Crosby got hurt for a game and a half. And the Rangers changed the entire series. Stay with me here. Pens are up 3-1 in the series. Jacob Truba, who toes the line of being tough and dirty really well, hits Sid Crosby with a questionable hit. Crosby had nine points in four games and, again, is up 3-1 in the series. Crosby leaves game five up 2-0 with seven minutes left in the second period. The Rangers scored three in two minutes and 42 seconds and changes the entire thing. 
Crosby misses game six. Rangers win 5-3. Then they go to overtime in game seven before finding a way to win it. Crosby doesn't get hurt. And I'm sorry, it's love, peace, and hair grease to the blue shirts. Hell, think about this next time you tell someone why the Leafs suck because they can't get out of the first round or the Flames should have done blank with blank and blank. New York has faced a starting goalie once in their 14 games in this postseason. Once! And that was Tristan Jari playing his first game in over a month in Game 7 after watching the third stringer, Louis Domingue, play the bulk of that seven-game series. Jay Fresh on Twitter broke it down. The Rangers have played 5% of their playoff minutes against starting goalies, 58% against backups, and 37% against third stringers. I'm glad we blurred out the word that I was worried that we didn't <laughs> blur out. Also, and perhaps most importantly, the Crosby injury gave Igor Shosturkin the time to find his legs. First four games, he had a save percentage of 905 and a goals against of 426. And the kid had been pulled in two straight games. Crosby goes out and Igor plays better and better and better. In his last 10 games, or after Crosby went down, he's been absolutely lights out. I'm telling you. Fine line between first round exit and conference final appearance or flat out just luckier than Colin Jost. You make the call. I've already made mine and I just heard the f- horseshoe fall out of there. Yeah, they're going to be in tough. <laughs> they're going to be in tough against The only them. way is if Igor Shosturkin steals it. And guess what? Igor Shosturkin against the Lightning this year, 3-0 with a 9.58 save percentage and a 1.3 goals against average. I think the blue shirts are a fraud at worst, not ready at best, could be there soon, but Igor could steal this one. Yep, Uh, agreed. Okay, let's go to the Toronto Blue Jays, who are back home tonight as they begin a three-game series against the White Sox, as they'll play their next four series against the AL Central. Four of their next five matchups are against teams sitting at 500 or lower. The Jays were seven and a half games back at the Yankees on Thursday. They're now five and a half back after sweeping the Angels this weekend. Is this team ready to go on a big-time run here, Timmy? What a difference a week makes, eh? Unbelievable. From the push the panic button exactly seven days ago to good vibes only. The Jays' five-game run means that all of a sudden they have won 9-12, 10-14, which puts them on pace for 93 wins. Poff strong, Jesse. Over 90% on the Poff. And while we've established, that means jack on this show throw this into the mix the jays have played the strongest schedule in the bigs thus far strongest strength of schedule in the bigs thus far and are still seven games over 500 and that schedule will ease like rip wheeler into a saddle that's right kids white Sox and twins are the top two teams in the al central but they're also shorthanded and the covid pendulum has finally favored the bluebirds One of baseball's best, Tim Anderson, also just landed on the IL with a groin, hopefully his own. After this week, it lines up like LeBron's magic hairline. Royals, Tigers, and Orioles. Three of the worst teams in the American League. All this means that the possibility of momentum is there for the taking. Add some Yankees injuries into the pot, and this could get real good Real fast for the Jays. All they got to do is play ball starting tonight. Let's go. I'm ready to play ball, Jesse Rubinoff. I got some more good news for you. Ben Nicholson-Smith tweeting out that Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Danny Jansen both feeling better and in the Blue Jays lineup. 
today as you see and not DH either because no, that's Alejandro Kirk we'll get into this with Shai Davidi in a flash but it does look like it's lining up for the Jays now all they got to do is take advantage mm. still to come from what could go down as one of the greatest offensive series we have ever seen Mark Spector Gene Principe from the rink in Colorado Jennifer Botterell also ahead of that game number one Shai Davidi from the park ahead of the Jays and White Sox but up next tennis anyone Canadian tennis legend Daniel Nestor with his thoughts on Leila Fernandez, a lost opportunity, and perhaps some goat talk. Next, Tim and Friends, game day starts right here. What a matchup. It's hard not to be fired up when you've got McDavid and McKinnon. Connor McDavid, another beauty. What a goal from Nathan McKinnon. Needle all alone, he scores. What a dagger. The New York Rangers on their way to the Eastern Conference Final. Such disappointment for Leila Fernandez. Just unbelievable that she stayed on, battling through the pain. I get the feeling JR still thought they had the lead. He didn't know the score. I think, exactly. That's a bad mistake by JR Smith. Let's go country club here, kids. French Open quarterfinals draw opens up for Leila Annie Fernandez. Quarterfinals major second time in her career facing another lefty in Martina Trevisan. First game opening set, Fernandez facing an early break. Double faults one of her 15 unforced errors in the set. Next game, Trevisan looking to verify the break. And that's a great drop shot for the winner. Fernandez has been eliminated by unseated opponents in her last three Grand Slams. Later in the set, during a changeover, Layla calls for a, a trainer, and they wrap the foot up. The 19-year-old Montreal native gets the treatment she would continue, despite her father, who is her coach, telling her, no, nah, quit, retire, we're done. She would fight on. Still in the set, facing another break, Trevisan rips the passing shot, and the Italian takes the first set 6-2, couple that with the injury, jam done, right? Hold up. A second set, Fernandez facing a break, sends a forehand winner wide. She goes down 5-4. Ensuing game, she would not go quietly into that Parisian night. Oh, no. Layla just keeps on fighting. And in the tie break, big forehand, 17 seed forces a third set. And in that third set, Fernandez can't get to this. And another early break opportunity. Later in the set, Fernandez trying to push back. Cross court backhand winner. Canadian down 5 3. In fact, had to break twice to get to that spot. Next game, though, facing match point. Trevisan finally puts her away with the winner. Fernandez battles through injury. Two hours, 21 minutes. Not good enough, though. Trevisan headed to her first Grand Slam semifinal and does it in three sets. So with the draw wide open, Layla had to battle and in the end comes up empty here to help us break it down as an Olympic gold medals collector of Grand Slams in doubles Canadian tennis legend Daniel Nestor Daniel welcome to Tim and friends thank you very much for doing this 
Thanks for having me. Uh, so, it, so it appears as though, like, as I mentioned, draw opened up. Foot injury, obviously frustrating. But for Layla, how tough is this loss to Martina Trevisan? It's tough. Uh, I was talking to some people yesterday, and I didn't know much about that girl, but they kind of had already, you know, penciled Layla into the semifinals, possibly the finals, because she was the highest seed remaining on that side, and kind of the kiss of death doing that. Uh, I didn't actually know that. I didn't watch that part of the match where she had problems with her foot, but uh, yeah, tre tremendous effort by her to stay in the match and and fight, which she always does. And uh, but I was impressed with the other girl's ability to match her intensity. You usually, don't get. Uh, someone matching Layla's intensity and fire, and this girl was able to do it. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often, especially after the, the second set tiebreak. It felt like, okay, Layla's done, and then it was three love in a flash. How, how much different, though, is it playing with expectations rather than, say, playing as the underdog as Layla did early in her career? Well, I guess that kind of uh, played into the U.S. Open final, too. I mean, she beat all those players that... Uh, that you know on paper were much higher ranked than her and then all of a sudden she's in the final against a girl that's you know in the, in the exact same boat as her so all of a sudden it went from nothing to lose to a lot of pressure but uh you know the other girl played tremendous she's a very talented player and i mean it's not easy playing with all the expect expectations on you which i don't really think layla had i mean i think it's still an achievement amazing achievement to to get to the quarterfinals and and, uh, you know, she's still making her way uh, up the ranks to hopefully top 10 soon. And, and uh, you know, so I don't think, plus I don't think uh, Clay is her, is her ultimate surface. So I think, you know, it, it was one of those situations where she knew she had a good chance, but uh, I don't think people, you know, other than a couple of people I talked to yesterday, uh, I don't think on, as far as uh, analysts or specialists or experts or whoever had, you know, penciled in her into the final gotcha. already. Even though, uh, you know, she is, she is qualified. So, so let me ask you this, because for the average sports fan, for someone watching this show and looking at Canadians in the past who have been unable seemingly to take that last step and get to the, the finals repeatedly and, and win major titles, how hard is it to take the step from, say, 10 to 20th in the world to one of the very best? Well, on the men's side, it's, yeah. it's nearly impossible because you have, you know, three guys, two guys now, but, uh, you know, uh, with Federer in, in the mix, basically guys that have, you know, won everything other than Murray a couple times in the last, uh, and, and Warinka and Del Potro, I guess, you know, you've had three guys dominate the sports for 20 years now. So, you know, on the women's side, there are obviously a little more openings. You saw Bianca, you know, come out of nowhere and, and uh, you know, showcase her talent, and you know, she's she's one of the best in the world. Unfortunately, she's had some bad luck with injuries, but uh, you know, the, the opportunity is there on the women's side. I think it's a little more open, and and someone with uh, Layla's fire and and uh, determination and grit. Uh, you know, she's got probably the best attitude that I've seen of a of a player in, in a long time, and mm. and uh, you know, she's she's got good game to back it up. So I think. You know, she's knocking on the door. Unfortunately, she got injured today, but, uh, you know, it's only a matter of time before uh, she's in another final. You mentioned the fighter in her, and, and I was impressed that she was down 3-love in the second set and broke back. And then she was down 5-1, excuse me, in the third set. 3-love uh, breaks back. 5-1, third set, breaks back. I is that the fighter that you're talking about, or am I just romanticizing something where... 
uh, she was in a spot where she had nothing to lose. Well, no, I know. I think she did have something to lose. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the fact that she was injured uh, just showed her, her heart and, and how much she cares and how much she wants it. And, and, you know, you saw her limp off the court. So obviously, you know, you're in the moment and you're dealing with uh, the, the stress of the match and trying to win. You kind of forget about the injury. And sometimes it, it actually makes you focus more because you realize that that's, you know, you can't, you, you can't afford to, to you know get distracted you know sometimes i play my best tennis when injured because you know you you, you can't afford to lose focus you you know that you know right you have this situation but in, and all you're going to do is focus as much as you can to stay as positive as you can and and she was able to do that but as soon as the match ended uh you saw that you know the kind of effort she gave to, to fight through the injury which is you know her dad wanted her to stop so obviously it's a big deal and uh but it's quarterfinals of a slam and she had a uh, an opportunity to make it uh, to the final and possibly win. I mean, she could have played the the girl who's on a huge winning streak. But again, you've seen her record against players that uh, have a higher ranking than her. And I don't think anyone likes playing her. I don't think anyone likes dealing with that personality, you know, that kind of in your face, uh, you know, ready to play every point and, and never back down personality. And, and you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's uh, I'm more uncharacteristic on the WTA tour than, than the men's tour. I, I just think it's, it's a difficult, uh, uh, situation to be for for you know any 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 side men women it's just something that it's very difficult to play against. Uh, all right, so big boys playing right now: Djokovic and Nadal uh, combined. What I don't know, like forty-one Grand Slam singles titles between the two. In your mind, is there some goat talk on the line here today? Probably. I mean, uh, you know, Nadal does have one up on him. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Novak couldn't play Australia, but, uh, you know, Nadal did what he had to do, and he, he won that slam, and he was down two sets in the final, and, uh, you know, that was a huge win. He beat the guy that uh, that, beat, that beat Djokovic in the U.S. Open final. And, and uh, you know, Novak beat him last year, and Novak has a winning record against him, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's everything's on the line in that match. I mean, Rafa came out smoking, and uh, now it's uh, you know it's it's pretty even out there. So it's it's going to be a long one, and uh, you know now that uh, Alcaraz lost, the door is open for uh, for the winner of this match to take a title. So I think it, it's huge, probably bigger for Novak, considering he's already down one. I don't think he wants to go down two to to Nadal. Yeah. You know they are getting a little bit older, so you never know. But how much time they have left? But yeah, it's huge. Uh, he said it might be his last. He's, he's up a break in the third set right now, one set apiece. Uh, he is yeah. serving up 2-1 uh, in that third set. So that's the update there. Hey, uh, before I let you go, did Felix show us something taking Nadal to five, or was that a lost opportunity for him? Uh, I mean, for sure he showed something. He's been showing something all year. He won yeah. his first tournament. Uh, you know, he's, he's a top-ten player. He's a mainstay in the in the upper ranks of the sport and and i thought he served well it looks like uh you know he's he's becoming a you know le legitimate big server now and you know he already had the athleticism he already had the huge forehand the all-court game and uh you know he's he's you know everything you'd want in an athlete and uh you know now he's now he's serving great he's got the confidence on serve so you know he can win on any surface I would say for the hard courts is, is his best chance. And, uh, but, you know, he's just so much fun to watch for sure. Hey, listen, this was fun catching up with you. Uh, I wish we didn't have to do it up against Djokovic and Nadal playing at Roland Garros. So let's do it again down the road, okay? 
All right, thanks a lot. All right, there is a Canadian tennis legend, Daniel Nestor. Uh, he's got slams. Yeah, pretty cool. Plural. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And an Olympic gold medal. Not bad. Not bad. All right, time for a break. When we come back, Red Hot Jays opening up a series with the White Sox. We'll head down to the Rogers Center and check in with Shai Davidi for all of the latest Jays talk and some updates. Stick around. Game day starts with Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends continues with the Jays, who have won five straight as they start a homestand against the White Sox and the Twinkies, who will both be shorthanded for their series. White Sox without best hitter and Tim Anderson, who is on the IL, while Dylan Cease and Kendall Graveman are on the restricted list. Meanwhile, the Jays DFA'd Ryan Barucki and recalled Trent Thornton. It'll be Lucas Giolito against Kevin Gossman in a great pitching matchup tonight. You can see the game on Sportsnet 1, Blue Jays Central, starting at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific time. Here's Jays' lineup. And good news, all three Jays who got an off day on Sunday were dealing with minor injuries. Back in there, Vladdy first, Teoscar right, Jansen behind the plate. Alejandro Kirk has been warm, so he'll DH while Kevin Biggio gets the start at second base getting the start from the bullpen at the Rogers Center well actually the third base side is Shai Davidi who joins me now from the dome what's going on Shai how are you man doing all right what's going on uh, same old same old for me working hard trying to get through all this getting set for a hockey game and what feels like the schedule opening up a little bit for the Jays I know there was much consternation a week ago in fact uh, on this show, we asked the audience if we should hit the panic button. They said yes. The Jays have gone 5-0 and since. And there's a little bit of an opening here. I know these are two good teams, but they're both shorthanded, and then the schedule opens up. Do the Jays feel like there's a real opportunity in front of them to kind of get that ebb and flow of 162 going in their way right now? Well, I'm not sure if it's necessarily based on the opponents who are coming up, but you know, talking to several of the players at the end of that Anaheim series, you know, really got the sense that they were feeling as if their approach at the plate was starting to lock in and that they were starting to become the offensive club we've all expected them to be. And that's more process-driven, the types of at-bats that they were doing, the types of takes that they were taking. You know, you think about three bases loaded walks on Sunday. You know, would they have had the patience to take three bases loaded walks a couple weeks ago? Probably not. So, you know, those are the little things that they were kind of looking to and saying, okay, we're starting to get ourselves right. This is a sign that this isn't just a, a one or two or three good games. This is a sign that we're, our process is becoming more along the lines of what it should be. It's funny because we're not in the clubhouse. People aren't privy to what you're privy to often. And Hazel May. Uh, on the weekend tweeted out video from just outside the Jays clubhouse where they were celebrating the series sweep and how, how often you know like just outside looking in you're there how often do you see things or hear things like that from a clubhouse where a team is just so excited about the way they're headed well the way that the setup is at 
Angel Stadium. Uh, basically, the entrance is right where we the the media wait to get in, right. and it's you're right in the clubhouse. So there there's not a lot of buffer, and so we got the full volume, and it was actually pretty funny because the first day when they won, I think it was on the Thursday, uh, the security guard outside the outside the door said, you know, I've never heard a team celebrate like that. Uh, and then he kept on repeating it the next three days as the <laughs> right. Jays completed the sweep. So, you know, they definitely get after it. You know, here in Toronto, we're a little further out. Uh, but they've got a, a pretty pretty big setup here, too. You know, there's always uh, some dry ice uh, mist uh, left in the in the clubhouse by the time we get in. Uh, so you definitely get the sense that they got after it a little bit before we got in there. Uh, and look, I think this is, if you're a team, you're playing, it's tough to win. Uh, you know, you should enjoy these things. And part of uh, how a team exists is making sure that you find ways to make your entire experience enjoyable. Agreed. Obviously, there's no better joy than winning. And so, you know, if they're, they're going to sell celebrate and hoop it up and you know we were trying to speculate on who's the yeah guy who we kept hearing and, you know, <laughs> you know, you, any guess uh, your, your guess is your guess is as good as mine so uh but you know like you know this is this is part of what can creates a bit of a bond and a kin uh, kinship amongst players and you know does that actually mean something in the in the burger term you know i think there's a lot of debate around that but Ultimately, yeah. you want to be around people that you enjoy your time Without with. Without it, and that debate and if you is nonsense. To enjoy success. Yeah, that debate you know, is I not. But it is. If you enjoy team, the process, it makes it a lot easier to go sure. to work 162 times a year, especially when you get rare days off. Like it's, it's football. I don't give a bleep. Show For up sure. on Sunday and play football. But this is different. Yeah, to an extent, but again, you still have to have the other ingredients. Yeah, right? you have you're to not have good chemistry team, your way. Course. Yeah, right. Of course. Like you, you can have great chemistry with bad players, and you know, go you know, forty and hundred and twenty-two. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know. No, but I think it means uh, I think something. That, that's worth keeping in mind. People it, trying maybe to it diminish this. It makes a little this. bit of a difference. Go ahead. I, yeah, I I'm think it can make a little bit of a difference. No, no, it's good. It, it, it makes a. I'm sure that it makes a difference when you know the the margins are relatively close between teams if one group gets along and likes each other and supports each other and the other one is you know 25 or 26 caps or 26 dudes yeah uh, but you know that's where there it can be a little bit of a separator but you know i think you look at the think back to the 2015 2016 teams you know those teams were they had a lot of strong personalities that were not always, you know, they were aligned on winning, but maybe not always aligned in other ways. Right. Uh, you know, I think John Gibbons would have said, you know, we were we were dysfunctional, and we were a bunch of renegades, and we were dysfunctional, and you know that they found a way to win because they had enough yeah. talent. So I, I don't think it precludes you from having success, and doesn't guarantee that you will, but it can be definitely be an ingredient that helps. Yeah, they didn't get over the hump either, though, Shy. It's not like they won the World <laughs> Series. They won. They won repeatedly. <laughs> They were also 500 until Alex Anthopoulos went out and got it. Never mind. Uh, all right. So <laughs> it looks like from this lineup that the Jays are healthy. Do, does it seem that way to you down there? Yeah. I mean, look, it's going to help. It, like, are, are, are two days off going to, for, for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., to Oscar Hernandez, Danny Jansen, going to heal everything and make everything suddenly go away? Probably not. But I'm sure they're feeling better after having a little bit of rest. And that's a good thing. And, you know, I think that's something that definitely got lost over the weekend and some of the debate over the lineup on Sunday is the understanding that, 
you have to do these things sometimes to build in rest because one day within a week or a week and a half or whatever it is, that's not a whole lot of recovery. And this sport is relentless, it's brutal. Sometimes the breaks are can be mental as well as physical ones because this sport beats people up. And like, I can't understate this enough. And I, 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 I'm not sure that people recognize just how brutal this game is on players mentally, right? Even like if even if you're Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or George Springer or Bo Bichette, you're failing way more than you're ever succeeding. You're constantly thinking about your failures. Your successes are fleeting. You know, it's a tough game to play in that regard. And then you add in the physical grind on top of that. So, you know, taking the long view to how you keep a player healthy over the course of 162, uh, you know, that that's what the smart teams are doing, not just the Blue Jays. And I think this is something that's going to happen over the rest of the season. So, you know, fans are going to have to get used to it and maybe understand a little bit that this is part of thinking about things more holistically and that maybe, you know, you have to sacrifice a game here to try and win three or four down the road. Uh, Ryan Baraki DFA'd today. Was that a surprise to you? Not really because, I mean, one, he's out of options, right? So if he's not performing, then you don't really have a choice. You know, the, the Blue Jays are out of runway with players like Ryan Barucki who have a lot of talent, uh, but you're waiting for things to click. And if he's not able to take the mound and deliver outs, then you know they're not in a position to carry that and wait for it to happen. And look, the potential and the tools are unquestionable. Ryan Barucki has great stuff, great fastball, a potentially very good slider. It hasn't been in the zone. Uh, he hasn't been competitive in leverage situations and that becomes difficult for a team like the Blue Jays are right now. And so, you know, I think there's expectation that he's going to get claimed. Uh, he's going to find a new team. He's probably going to end up, or he's got a chance at least, to end up finding his way uh, once he figures things out. But he's really been sort of snake bit over the past couple of years is that when he's starting to perform well, he gets hurt and then resets his cycle and he tries to find himself. And then when he does find himself, he ends up getting hurt. and everything starts all over again so it's really unfortunate for you know a player who was a part of this organization for 11 years came up through the system fought fought his way up made fans at every step uh on his way up the journey and uh you know it just didn't happen for him unfortunately all right uh, we're less than 30 seconds here so this is a yes or no the covid pendulum has swung the way of the jays right now this is just a story in the United States of America, right? We're done with this now, right? Yeah, I mean, they need to stop complaining and saying this is an advantage for the Jays. It's not. And it's the American government's fault at this point. Right. It goes both ways, same thing. And no one said jack over the last two years when the Jays were getting the pendulum swung the other way. Shy, always appreciate you. And I like coming to work with both you and Jesse all the time. I enjoy being a long-distance friend like I am today. <laughs> Shai Dabidi, third baseline, Roger Center. Appreciate you, buddy. Take care, guys. There is Shai Dabidi on the other side. We shift our focus back to hockey. Yes, Oilers and Avs get set for game number one Western Conference Final. We go from baseball to hockey as we head to the rink to check in with Gene Principe and Mark Spector. Up next, we're watching Tim and Friends on some sort of monitor. We're sports now. Tim and friends, now for Tim and friends. 
time for Real Sports Talk with Jim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Back here, hour number two on Tim and Friends Full Hour. Everywhere I had a game one Western Conference final. Avs, Oilers, firepower everywhere. We'll check in with Jennifer Botterill shortly. Plus, Mark Spector as the Oilers play in their first conference final in 16 years. That's right, kids. Star power getting a ton of attention, and rightly so. David Drysaddle, McKinnon, McCarr, headline a star-studded pair of teams with tons of offensive firepower. The Oilers finish out the Flames on Thursday as wrapped it up against the Blues on Friday, so both teams should come in pretty fresh. Speaking of star power, offensive firepower. Gene Principe, our shining star, he's standing by live in Denver. Gene, take it away, my friend. Hey, Tim, that's a heck of an introduction. Maybe you thought Mark Spector was coming up, but it is me for now. Uh, nah. Mark is in the bullpen uh, getting set. Uh, you know what? Just listening to you, Tim, rattle off those names uh, in order of these two teams, and it really does make me wonder about what we would expect in this series. And there's another name of a guy who's maybe just, I don't want to say he's quite below them, but maybe doesn't get mentioned because of all the names you just uh had a chance to say Tyson Berry, who used to be a member of the Colorado Avalanche and now is a member of the Edmonton Oilers. From 2011 to 2019, he was on the Colorado Avalanche team three times over 50 points. And then July 1st, 2019, he was in a multiplayer swap to Toronto. Uh, despite the fact he got traded at that point and in that year, he knew uh, a little bit before that that his time was done because of a player who was drafted fourth overall in 2017. He goes by the name of Kale McCarr. Yeah, I knew, I knew I was in trouble right when I, I got on the ice with him the first time. I was like, oh, I might be out of here. Uh, he was uh, he was exceptional. I could You could just see the way he skated, the way he moved the puck early, and then to come into that series against Calgary, and, you know, he was taking guys one-on-one, -on -one and, you know, his first NHL game, he scored first couple shifts. I mean, he was super impressive right from the get-go, and he was a great kid, and... Um, not uh, not surprised to see how dominant he's been and it's uh you know it's super impressive to see what he's doing and um we're gonna have a, a heck of a time trying to slow him down well it might be the same story even though maybe tyson isn't as outgoing offensively as kale mccarr let's not forget the oiler defenseman was the top point getter on the blue line uh, last season and uh, he also discussed the trade I briefly mentioned which involved Nazem Kadri who's been a star here for the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah. The two of them switched homes uh, for the deal <laughs> and he said this morning he goes I think that uh, Nazem got the better of the deal because he ended <laughs> up living in a condo in downtown which he said he liked but he's more of a guy who who likes to live in the suburbs uh, wherever uh, he ends up uh, calling home. Right now he's uh, living large as a member of the Edmonton Oilers in this West conference final which will get set to go tonight and it feels like we're living large to be honest with you Gene off the top of the show I said like am, am I the only innocent bystander who is extremely excited to be watching all the offensive yeah. firepower that is going to be on the ice Jesse and I went through an exercise where we tried to draft in order the top five players in this series and listen there are four of maybe like the top eight and I know you want to jump in here go ahead 
No, yeah, you're right. I mean, listen, uh, you've, and it's not just, I, th I think, Tim, the other thing, too, is, uh, listen, there's some great players who put up a lot of points, but they're a little more, and, and I say this phrase respectfully, a little more workmanlike. It seems like, you know, McKinnon scored that goal against the St. Louis Blues. Yeah. I think it was game five. Uh, McDavid does what he does. Dreisel, I mean, this is all very exciting ways to produce offense. Kale McCarr, unbelievable. So I think there's that extra element, not just that there will be goals, but they could be highlight reel goals <laughs> from both teams. So, so the question I have for you to follow all that up is, do you have any idea as the jams start bumping in Ball Arena, do you have any idea or do you get any <laughs> sense from either one of these coaches if they will embrace that or try their best to stymie all that offensive firepower? That is a great question, and uh, Colorado does have home ice advantage, and we'll have that last change tonight. I know Leaf fans and Oilers fans, and maybe even Avalanche fans, remember, if there's one player in the National Hockey League that has done a reasonable job of um, not stopping, but somewhat corralling containing. Connor McDavid, it is Nazem Kadri when he was a member, yeah, containing. It was Nazem Kadri with the Leafs. So if you're Jared Bednar, it would be hard not to to try that but I think you're at the point Tim these two teams have so much firepower like you said it's like hey we're gonna throw out our best against your best and let's see what happens uh, Gene listen we're we, we do the shopping cart here pretty soon <laughs> I would love to see sprinkler a little shopping cart from Gino to get our game one Western Conference finals you're like going like this and then you're like <laughs> So, hey, listen, we couldn't do this it's without you. We appreciate you uh, dropping in each and every game Anytime. day, honestly. I love it. Uh, there is Gene Principe uh, at Ball Arena doing the shopping cart live so on national good. television. I don't know if he knew the sprinkler. <laughs> Eastern Conference Final gets going tomorrow night in New York after the Rangers took down the Canes in seven games. Quick turnaround for them facing the two-time defending cup champions. They've been sitting waiting for their opponents since last Monday. Cue the rest versus rust debate. We're where we want to be. We just You just don't know how you're going to get there. You don't know if you're going to have, <clears throat> excuse me, like the Rangers going to have two days off. You're going to be have nine days off. It's different every single year. Uh, the bottom line is we're here. And so, you know, we've had, a, I think we've practiced for the last six days. Um, guys are energized. Guys are excited. Guys are slowly starting to heal. Um, is that going to equate into a game one win? I guess we'll have to see. Who knows? <laughs> the NHL Draft Combine underway in Buffalo. Uh, back to an in-person event as teams get a closer look at the top draft prospects for July's entry draft. Canadians have the first overall pick. Met with Shane Wright last night. Wildly projected to go first overall. GM Ken Hughes spoke with the media today and discussed Carey Price's future and how that impacts the team's offseason plans. I think the only way we would have complete clarity on it is if somehow we learned that he could not play. Uh, otherwise, you know, we have to go into the season and, and see how the knee responds once he's back to to you know the rigors of a regular season schedule um but the draft itself probably not as critical as maybe july 13th and and knowing his situation from you know if he's not playing then you know we would have ltir that we could use and without it we don't we don't have that uh without that information 
we don't have the, the luxury of using it. So no real clarity to soccer. <laughs> Canada's men's national team has announced that they will play Panama on Sunday in Vancouver in place of the canceled match with Iran. Now that was obviously scuttlebutted or closed down because political pr pressure, excuse me. I got it. Canada will now face Panama, BC Place, on Sunday ahead of the Nations League matches with Curacao and Honduras next week. Canada played Panama twice during the final round of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, winning at home and losing in Panama after they had already qualified. So, quick turnaround, they got an opponent. CFL Board of Governors has officially ratified the league's new CBA, putting it into effect, deal approved by the players Last week, it's a seven-year deal which can be reopened in five years. Most important part of all this, CFL regular season kicks off next Thursday. What a matchup. It's hard not to be fired up when you've got McDavid and McKinnon. Two fastest guys in the National Hockey League. Beautiful move. What can you say? McKinnon is streaking. Nathan McKinnon. These two guys may be the elite of the elite. He's on his horse. What's to Kelly? What a goal from Nathan McKinnon! That's one of the best goals I've ever seen in playoff hockey. That's what superstars do. McDavid scores! Game winner! Series winner for Connor McDavid! Everyone's excited about the matchup. How can you not be when you get to see Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon? McDavid. McKinnon. The Oilers versus Colorado. What a conference final that'll be. We continue counting down to game one of the Western Conference final between two offensive juggernauts with Mark Spector, who joins us now from Colorado. Spec, thanks for doing this, as always. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm The minute I leave here, I'm going to find a bookie. I'm betting the under because we've been pumping this series and it's all fans up so high. It's going to be one nothing tonight, boys. One nothing, Tim. Uh, one nothing. Listen, two teams <laughs> average over four goals a game in the conference final for the first time since '89. I, I know that the okay, coaches two one and two one. Yeah, and you're going to get to. I, but is is are are you expecting the coaches to try? and slow that down or embrace what is their style because i guess that's that's the balance that we're we're weighing right now uh, listen that's what coaches do yeah coaches are the worst thing that ever happened to hockey right all they want to do is take the fun out of it they all they want to defend they want to figure they they probably spend two-thirds of their time trying to figure out how to defend the other team and one-third of their time trying to figure out how to score goals on their team so sure jay woodcroft's doing his darndest to to figure out how to blunt the Colorado attack, and so is Jay Bednar with Edmonton. But you know what? In that Calgary series, the first game was 9-6. So, you know, it's it's the, the guys on the ice that make the call here, right? It's the guys on the ice that get this thing going. And the best thing that could happen in this game for either side is you want like a two-goal lead because then the other team's got to open it up and try to catch up. Right. And that's where the fun starts, right? Hey, this is a copycat league. Could these two teams having success with offense start a trend? Or is this just McDavid, Drysaddle, McKinnon, McCarr, Kadri, Kane, on and on and on? Well, I mean, we're going that way. Every yeah. new young kid that comes in the league has greater skills than the last one, right? There's way more. Every kid coming in here is Trevor Zegris and, and you know, 
doing all these tricks. And so more teams are going to be armed to do what you're talking about. But I think one of the things that, that maybe hasn't got enough airtime here is when's the last time we had a debate and complained that the playoff officiating standard has changed from the regular season? Yeah. Right. When did we, when's the last time we counted up the power plays and said, Oh, there's way less power plays in the postseason and they're let poor McDavid. We got to let them be McDavid. Well, McDavid and Drysaddle are sitting here with, I think, 26 points or something, and the, the officiating has been exactly the same way as the regular season. Yeah. Penalties are getting called, and that is rewarding offensive play. And more teams, if they're going to ref it this way, more teams are going to have to play it this way, and I think that's what every single one of us wants to see. Because of McDavid's brilliance, Mark, have we lost sight of Leon Drysaddle's performance here? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Right, only as but but only for his whole career, Tim. So <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, you know what? And I, I like he is such a good player. I, I won't be a homer and say he's the best passer in the National Hockey League, but I'm going to tell you, there's nobody better than him. Right? He he, you know, the great player slows the game down to his own speed. Watch him play. Like, watch how he holds guys off and buys himself time. The great player finds time and space. So Gretzky used to come in, do that little loop inside the blue line. That was his time and space. Yeah. Um, uh, Connor McDavid, he does a much tighter circle in, in front of a defenseman. He does that spin move now. Boom, he comes out of it with all this time and space. Well, Drysaddle's not built for those things. So Drysaddle just commands the puck the way Mario used to, right? Yeah. The puck's way out here. And his butt's way out here, and you can't get near it, and he'll get rid of that puck when he sees fit to get rid of the puck. Uh, that's, for me, the amazing thing about Leon Dreisaitl. Everybody has to play it at his speed. He's got the puck. He's in control of the game. And that's what the great players all did, pal. You know, think back. Yeah, without a doubt. And that's a great point about accruing time and space and how you go about doing it and there are some of the very best in the game in this series at doing it which makes it fun to watch I, I know this can change day to day game to game and with Mike Smith sometimes shot to shot but do the Oilers have the better goalie in this series well isn't that a question a guy yeah. thought he'd never hear yeah. <laughs> without a doubt right yeah listen Calgary was supposed to have the better goalie and Edmonton, you know, eviscerated Jacob Markstrom. Uh, I'm going to say this. Like, uh, to me, I don't know enough about goaltending not to just kind of rely on numbers. But but Darcy Kemper has a 9.04 in this playoff year against a Nashville team that is not a noted offensive juggernaut, and they got beat four in a row. And against the St. Louis team that's a very staunch defensive club, but they're not an offensive powerhouse either. And it's 9.04, right? So I'll be interested. The, the test here is this. Can Darcy Kemper not be Jacob Markstrom? Jacob Markstrom's up for a Vesna. He had an eight, I think an 850 save percentage against the Oilers. So, you know, let's see who's got the better goaltending. It's going to be about who gets the better chances. But I'll tell you one thing. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, Zach Hyman, Connor McDavid, Evander Kane, when they're having chances to bury against you, that's better than anything Kemper's seen thus far in the playoffs and 904 is only okay so far how and why do you think that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl have been able to get to these numbers like who who are the like how did they get there is it Kane is it Hyman is it Nugent Hopkins being 
uh, competent enough to play at center and thus Leon can go to winger? Like, what do you look at as the as the main component on why we're getting so much out of McDavid and Dreisaitl? Well, it's the fair question. So let's say this. The, the thing that Daryl Sutter said, and he probably said it in a little bit of frustration that we got beat by one guy, that's no one in hockey thinks that's true, right? right? Uh, adding Zach Hyman is huge. Adding a finisher like Kane is huge. So now what happens is there's more options. It's not there. Listen, I watched this order team when they had Big Dave and Drysaddle and couldn't win with lost, those two guys. Yeah. So it's clear that the guys around them are making it better, but they've also raised their game. So, it, you know, I, I'm here to tell you, I don't have one reason. All I'm going to say to you is the last three years, these two guys have ridden the one, two at top of the scoring race all season long. That's where they've been. They, they're the top two scorers in the league, full stop. That's just the way it is. They win the hearts. They've won the Art Rosses. Yep. Leon Dreisettle's the only 50-goal, 100-point guy around these days, twice now. So they're great players, and they can score. And here they've then you, then they raise their game in the playoffs. Tim, how does McDavid raise his game? You tell me. Oh, Who thought God. he could raise his game? Yeah. His game's better. Yeah. So they're running away with a scoring race in the playoffs, the way they do in the regular season. We're going to do a feature in mere moments from now that explains just how far McDavid has raised his game. So I I thank you for a couple things. I thank you for uh, setting that up. That's a brilliant segue. And two, for, for making your bed for us. Uh, I really appreciate the fact <laughs> that you didn't leave the bed unmade. Thanks, Mac. Appreciate you, buddy. Uh, my wife, if my wife turned this show on and saw a messy bed behind me, I'd be, I'd be in. So, you're uh, welcome. <laughs> uh, all right, buddy. Be well. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll talk soon. All right, Tim. Uh, by the way, over and under set on Bet Rivers at seven for this game. And they're expecting goals. A little higher than the six and a half. I wondered if we went get seven and a half on that. And by the way, Spec, I know you got it at 2-1. I still got the over. Coming up, we will take a closer look at Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle's production. Spec gave us the segue. We will follow through as they look to make history and help the Oilers get back to a Stanley Cup final. Tim and friends, your game day starts here. We hope. Tim and Friends continues just 90 minutes away from Game 1 Western Conference Finals. As the Oilers take on the Avs. Hockey Central will continue to get you set. 7.30 Eastern, 5.30 Mountain on Sportsnet. The series may take it back to the old school. And it's not just the eye test. The numbers back it up. Oilers and Avs, 1-2 in, in goals per game in the postseason. Edmonton leads the way with 4.33 a game with Colorado just behind at 4.3 a game. And because of this, this matchup is the first conference final, West or East, since 1989 to feature a pair of teams averaging four goals or better in the same postseason. Add a pair of goalies who have had a penchant for giving up a few, and we just might see a series for the ages. I think as much as we put a, a focus on the other team and what they do well, um, our main concern is playing towards our identity, playing towards um, our strengths, and ensuring that you know if we put our, our concentration on our own game, we have a belief that things will take care of themselves. The other team's going to do some good good things, and. Um, 
we understand that. We understand that uh, there will be moments within this game tonight and within the series where the other team is going to uh, present some problems. Uh, but our belief is that we have the people in our dressing room that can can handle that. Like Connor McDavid, who's been doing things in these playoffs that have been simply jaw-dropping, willing his Oilers to the conference final while Leon Drysaddle's racked up, I don't know, an impressive 15 points, 15 assists, excuse me, in five games in the Battle of Alberta, 18 points. It was crazy, and he did it on a wonky ankle. It has been a historic pace to start the playoffs for the Oilers' dynamic duo. Anthony Caminiti has more on that. Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. No one has averaged more points per game in a single postseason than them. Dreisaitl to McDavid. McDavid shoots. Score! Game winner! Series winner for Connor McDavid! McDavid and Dreisaitl are each averaging 2.17 points per game this postseason. Super Mario was the last player to average more than two points a game while playing 10 or more games in the playoffs when he did so back in 1992. Look out! Scores! Have you ever seen such finesse? This is absolutely incredible. Only Gretzky had a higher average, the great one, doing it twice in the 80s. And As impressive as those numbers are, they fail to tell the full story of what McDavid and Drysaddle are doing this postseason. While Drysaddle is producing at an historic pace while clearly playing through an ankle injury, McDavid, already considered the best player in the world, has somehow found a way to take his game to a whole new level. You can't stop him. I can't believe what we're watching from 97. According to the game score value added model created by Dom LeCision at The Athletic, McDavid was a six-win player in the regular season. In these playoffs, he's projecting to be an 11-win player over 82 games, nearly doubling his total win value from the regular season to the playoffs. McDavid is on another planet right now in these playoffs. And yet, McDavid isn't the current betting favorite to win the Conn Smythe. That distinction belongs to Nathan McKinnon at plus 350. Two fastest guys in the National Hockey League. Always exciting when McKinnon goes up against McDavid. With 13 points in 10 games, McKinnon isn't quite matching McDavid's level of production, but he's shown he can put the Avs on his back these playoffs. Powering through the speed burst. One stick handling. My goodness, what a goal from Nathan McKinnon! Hat trick, baby! Despite a second-round exit last postseason, McKinnon was on a projected nine-win pace. He's tied for the fourth fastest to 80 points in playoff history and one of the few players in the world who can elevate his game the way McDavid has right now, setting up a head-to-head -head matchup rarely seen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. What a matchup. It's hard not to be fired up when you've got McDavid and McKinnon head-to-head. -head. I know I've said this a couple times. Yeah but I'll, it's worth repeating. I never thought we would get to the point where we'd be talking about players of our generation, this generation, 
in the same breath as Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky when it came to numbers. And yet, we're there. But I think the most important part, and the one thing that I always brought up when Ron McLean came on this show and we discussed referees, mm -hmm. was what bugged me most is that the best players in the game were repeatedly at home when it mattered most. And when you talk about the NBA or the NFL, those great players, the talent always finds a way to get to the most important times. And that wasn't happening in hockey. You look at this Final Four now, and you can safely say, like, Igor Shosturkin was the best goaltender on yep. planet Earth this year. He is in the conference final. Tampa is loaded with talent. Colorado's loaded with talent. And obviously, Dreisaitl and McDavid are two of the best in the game. So where we have ourselves is the cream is rising to the top. And I think that's important for the game of hockey. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think that the players offensively have been dominating at a level that I can't really remember. And whether that's because the game has opened up or because they're that much more talented than they've been in the last 20 or 30 years. Or the referees are just calling the rule book right. and not changing the way they look at the postseason or that the mm -hmm. players have adapted to the rule. But whatever it is. But it's just like you, you weren't, you're not used to seeing highlights that we've seen from McDavid and McKinnon and Dreisaitl right. in, in this postseason. And, and I know that there's happened. people out there who are saying, hey, listen, Austin Matthews may win the Hart Trophy and he's at home watching. Yeah, yeah but he also faced Tampa who are pretty damn good and have Still some pretty good players on that team. No question. And that's how they lost. So it's, it's just nice for me to see the cream rise to the top as it has in this year's postseason for the NHL. Fun time to be a, a hockey fan. No Hockey's doubt. hot. Yep. Hockey's uh, hot right Okay, let's, uh, let's take a look at some odds powered by BetRivers. It's a whole new game. Download the BetRivers online casino and sportsbook app today. The BetRivers site isn't just a place for odds, plenty of good research and stats available as well, particularly at the Genius Facts section, some of the information provided as I go to my computer here. Uh, Nathan McKinnon has scored a goal in each of the la Avs last four games against the Oilers. Now, obviously, not many teams have figured out how to stop him yet, though. Uh, McKinnon is plus 114 uh, to score a goal tonight. And we've made a, a pretty big deal about the Stars in this series, and Zach Hyman is playing uh, basically like he belongs in that conversation, Tim. Mm -hmm. At least one goal in each of the Oilers' last unreal. five games for Hyman. It's crazy. And uh, Gabriel Landeskog, as I go to the next tab here, has recorded a point, uh, at least a point, in each of the Avs' last six game ones of a playoff series. So uh, the captain setting the tone for his team. And finally, the Oilers have won the second period in five of their last six hmm. games, which I found to be a remarkably interesting statistic. And there, as we pull up the whole board, which puts all of this neatly together in a fine little package right. for you, uh, that one comes in with the, the highest odds at plus 210, I guess because it's only a 20-minute time frame and it's harder to win an actual period than it is to win a game. That's... Uh, Genius thinking by me. Thank you very much. You've got that correct, my friend. Yeah. So right. uh, I just I just think uh, Bet Rivers they do a you know a good job of getting all the stats out there because it's it's not only about betting. If you want to do some research, you can do it there too. More hockey talk coming up. Jennifer Bottle will join us next. We'll get her thoughts ahead of Game One in Colorado. Plus, Gino goes one on one with the aforementioned Zach Hyman, who has been unbelievable for the Oilers, and he's done it on the second line as well. He doesn't need to play with the superstars, although he's. Pretty good there, too. Tim and Friends continues.
The road to the Western Conference Final isn't supposed to go through Arizona ever. But lo and behold, kids, it did. Both Mike Smith and Darcy Kemper have been around for a while, but the only postseason series either has started, finished, and won before this year was in Arizona with the Coyotes. Smith back in 2012 when he and Dave Tippett took the Coyotes to the conference final and Kemper in the bubble in 2020 when they knocked off the Predators before losing in the first round to the very same abs he will suit up for tonight. With all the ink spilt and the firepower in this series, and rightfully so, there is going to be a ton of pressure on the keepers who bring a combined 26 years of experience to the table. There is a real feel that whoever survives this, whoever survives best in this series will go a long way towards playing in their first ever cup final. Not bad for a fifth and sixth round pick in Smith and Kemper, respectively. Yeah, it's, uh, he's been fantastic. Um, and, and like you said, he's a vocal leader. A uh, guy who's been in the league for for a long time, um, and I just think that his, like you said, just his battle. I think that's what is the most impressive in, in every game. He doesn't give up on any pucks. Coach Darcy stumbled a little bit there, kind of near the end of the St. Louis series. After a couple of days off, where are you at with kind of how where he's sitting mentally? I'm perfect. <laughs> Wonderful answer, yeah. Mr. Bednar. Uh, I expect the same kind of answers from Jen Botterill, who joins us now from the NHL on Sportsnet Studios. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Jen, appreciate you. Thank you. It's great to be back. Does it feel a little bit like, with all this firepower on the ice, the goalies could be the end deciders on, on who moves on? I think so, right? I mean, there's a lot of focus on the big names and all of the talent up front, but we always know that goaltending is so critical in the playoffs. And you know, if you think about Edmonton and, and, and Mike Smith, I mean, he's had some ups and downs in the season, but finished off the regular season well and sort of has shown in the playoffs that he's not going to let an error or a mistake interfere with him or, or to let it linger. And whether it's in his comments after the game or his play on the ice afterwards, uh, it's an indication that he's able to, to respond to that. And you know what, he's a, he loves to play the puck. I mean, yes, I mean, there is an error, right? But he's shown that he's got the confidence to get over it. I mean, what an unbelievable uh, goal that was that no one expected. But if you think about how Smith plays the game, he likes to be assertive. He likes to get out and to play the pucks. And, and for him, he's just demonstrated this level of, of confidence and, and resiliency and sort of responded to, even if it's been season-long question marks surrounding his capability to, to carry this team and to be as solid as they need him to be. But that's exactly what he's done. All right, Jen, uh, we'll, we'll leave the, the big names to all the pretty boys. We, we, we've done all of the here's how many goals they've scored, here's the numbers, here's what they're on pace for. Jesse and I even went through uh, the process of drafting our top five players in this series in order. I'm not going to ask you to do that because it's incredibly tough to do when you're talking about McKinnon, McCarr, Drysaddle, McDavid, and whoever the fifth is. But let me ask you who you think hasn't been talked about near enough as we go into this series with all this firepower and all these names. 
You're right, and lots of big names, which adds to the excitement and all of us looking forward to this Western Conference Final. But if you think about perhaps one name on, on Colorado might be Byram on defense. And there's a lot of attention to Makar and very well-deserved. There's no one right now that can be as dynamic um, as him on the blue line, what he can do. You know, his partner with Devon Taves has been so steady and had an outstanding season as well. But if you watch Byram um, for Colorado, there are some of his tendencies and his skating style that are similar in some ways to Makar. And, and mm. Byron's a young D, but showing a ton of potential. On the other side, if you think about Edmonton, I mean, Ryan Nugent Hopkins has come through with some really big plays and, and a lot of attention. Uh, de- and same thing, deservedly so, uh, for McDavid and Kane and Hyman, who've been excellent. But if you think about Ryan Nugent Hopkins and, and what he's done for, for the Oilers and come through in some really big moments to, to help them uh, clutch the last series, uh, he's also another guy that's just that depth guy and that's played a, you know some great minutes and done some really good things for this team. So uh, those are a couple of guys I think that maybe have flown under the radar with all of the star power in this series, <laughs> but could be um, huge contributors for each of their teams. Is part of what makes RNH so valuable is the ability to anchor a line and allow Leon to play the wing and, and battle his way through what seems to be an ankle injury? It does, and I, I think he's shown some flexibility. And, and I think Edmonton's also showed that they can switch up the lines a little bit depending what they they need um, relative to each game. And and for, for Dreisaitl, I mean, he's his story really throughout these playoffs, that was, I thought, the biggest um, sort of uh, unknown when they were coming to the last series against Calgary was how could he perform. And sort of Nugent Hopkins or McDavid have shown that, you know what, he can still be so effective. And that's a huge credit to Dreisaitl and what he's able to do. I mean, we could probably do a whole roll of just his backhand passes in that last series. But for him, maybe he's not doing his full stride all of the time. But there were breakaway chances that he demonstrated. When he needed to, he could pick up his speed. And, and maybe Dreisaitl wasn't firing off his, his one-timer shot as much as he often uh, as he was before and previously. But sometimes as a player, if there's an injury, no matter the magnitude of it, I think the best players just think the game a little bit differently and adjust. And so certainly, whether it's Nugent Hopkins is playing with him or McDavid, uh, but also Dreisaitl to show that he can adjust and find a way to play the game, maybe subtly differently, but hugely effective. Listen, we've known for a long time that Zach Hyman knows how to make an impact, but I think there are a lot of uh, say outsiders, some people on the outside looking in who said, wow, listen, the guy played with Marner and Matthews in Toronto, and then he's playing with Dreisaitl and McDavid. But ha- has this playoff proven that this guy can drive on his own? Yes, right? And I feel like if you look at him, it, I mean, it's, it's effort first for him, and, and that's something that can be very contagious and for him, he's a guy that just he gets a lot of touches and he finds the way to, to make space for his line mates. And he's an, an example, too, that has sort of made his way around the lineup and show that he could play in, in different roles with different people. But certainly proving to everybody that, you know, what his worth is. And, you know, we've seen him even on the power play, sort of that back post consistently and getting the re- rewards for it. 
Um, but he's he's a player, whether it's that work ethic, but he makes space and drives the puck to the net, and he carries the puck a lot. You notice him early in the games, and are people going to get touches? And, and he's a guy that he finds the way to read the play to make sure that he can enter the zone with the puck efficiently for their team. So just, I mean, a workhorse, but also the ability to, to get some good shots on net and, and find a way to get to the puck to the net. All right, Jen, listen, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here because Jesse and I were drafting basically our top five in this series. And we, we both went McDavid first. And Jesse was pretty strong on Kale McCarr second. Mm-hmm. And I found it hard to argue. Is there a chance, and we both know what we're saying here, but is there a chance that McCarr is even more dynamic than McKinnon? Yes, I think it's a great discussion to have. And, I mean, McKinnon has showed how dynamic and explosive and and entertaining he is to watch. And and there's been a lot of discussion, right, about McDavid uh, versus McKinnon. But, yes, I think the more, uh, I think, respect and attention that we give to McCarr, that is something that is is perhaps, you know, rightfully so, to, to pour it on for him. And in his young career, you just think of, of every element of a top-skilled athlete, uh, hockey player, and Makar has it all. And he just has the ability to make decisions, whether it's you know, full ice skating or whether it's cutbacks and exploding or whether it's deception or whether it's his shot. I mean, there's every element of his game that makes him so dangerous. And to think that he's still young and young for his position to think about the upside. So, I mean, it's a fun list to, to negotiate and discuss, but I think worthy that he might be right up there. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable when you go down. And even the fifth, like, who do you put in that fifth spot? So if you're going to go with Makar, McKinnon, McDavid, and Drysaddle as your top four, you still got Nurse, you still got Kane, you still got Rantanen, you still got Landis Cog, you still got Devin Tate, you still got Hyman, you still got Kadri. Uh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Always appreciate you doing this on the show and enjoy the game tonight. All right, thanks so much, Tim. There is Jen Botterill, NHL on Sportsnet Studios. Uh, Hockey Central coming your way in less than an hour's time. And just over an hour away from Game 1 in Colorado's puck drop. Earlier today, Gene Prince-Bay caught up with the aforementioned Zach Hyman. Eight goals, 12 games during the playoff run. Here's the conversation between Gino and Zach. Zach, Game 1 is upon us soon. A veteran guy, but first time for you kind of in this situation. Are, 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 do the nerves start to build, or does your previous experience allow you to kind of enter this phase calmly? I think it's just excitement, especially uh, for Game 1. Once you get into a series, you know, I think the nerves settle, but it's always, uh, you know, you have a little bit of nerves, a little bit of excitement going into the first game, and uh, we're ready. When you look at what this team has done in Round 1 and Round 2, do you feel like you're getting better and building towards uh, you know, achieving your ultimate goal? Definitely. I think from each series, we, we, we've learned a lot and can take away a lot. They're both different series. Um, and uh, I think we've grown a lot from, uh, from each of them. So it'll be a, a big test for us uh, tonight and in this series, and we're excited for it. In 1990, and scored goals in six straight games uh, to set a franchise record in the postseason. You've scored in five straight, and I know you're a team guy, but give us a little bit of a hint as to how you've been able to have that kind of success. Shooting the puck. <laughs> you got to shoot to score. Um, but, yeah, I think just going to the net, going to the hard areas, playing with great players, obviously, um, and, you know, they make great plays and being able to finish on them. So, But uh, shooting, yeah, you got to shoot. Uh, your teammates, uh, great players or any of the players, say you have a relentless work ethic. Where does that come from? 
just part of my game. I think that it's, you know, I always say that, you know, competitiveness and, and work work ethic are the two things that have gotten me to where I am and, and the two things that I, I pride my, my game on. So uh, it's always kind of been with me since I was a kid and, you know, just uh, you know, always, always have had it. And you still have it as an adult. Uh, thanks for your time and enjoy the Western Conference Final. Awesome. Thanks, Gene. Gene Principe and, of course, Zach Hyman. And as Scott Oak so eloquently put on Twitter uh, during the Battle of Alberta, NHL mandates that Gene wears the mask because they don't want him to give COVID to a player and him to have to miss time. Logical. In, in a series this important. It's logical. So don't, don't tweet in and ask why Gino's wearing yeah. the mask. That's why. Time for a break. We'll get the last call with Jesse Rubinoff. We'll do that next with Tim and Friends as we continue to count down. Jay's about to get going on Sportsnet 1. Western Conference Final set to go. It is time now for Last Call, and for Last Call, as always, I hand the reins to one Jesse Rubinoff wearing what I believe we all agreed to be a banana-colored... That's right. T-shirt. That was the most popular by far. By far. On the Twitterverse. We went, we went banana. Yeah, we went banana. We didn't offer daffodils to them on the Twitterverse. The split screen did not offer daffodils. No, no, yeah. That was just a rush job by me trying to go to Pinterest and find some shades of yellow. No, I, I got, no, it, it actually had daffodils. Yeah, when we did the right, split the screen. Right, yeah. yeah. When we did the split screen, gotcha. we cut out daffodil yeah. and thus put banana in the favorites so to we win. We skewed it. We skewed it. We skewed it a wee yeah. bit. I am glad it is a banana t-shirt and not a banana hammock. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, I came across uh, this tweet earlier today. Um, can we throw it up? Um, who will be the bigger X factor? Make your pick. This is from the NHL Western Conference Final Edition. It's uh -huh. my question for you. Is there any common link between these two players? Uh, Nazem Kadri and Zach Hyman. <laughs> See what I did Nazem there? Nazem Kadri and Zach. See what I did there? Oof. What about uh, could Cody CC be an X factor in this series? Could throw a bunch of would, them in would there. Tyson Berry <laughs> yeah. be an X factor in this series? Huh. Yeah. Now we're gonna get a little. Uh, they only talk about Leafs. Just, just curious. No, no. I think this is uh, Leafs who couldn't make it to the next round who exactly. have now Toys. made it yeah. to the next round without the Toronto. Okay, that's actually a fantastic question. Those guys are both significant X factors, I would say. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, Kadri had what, like 89 points in the regular, 87 points yeah. in the regular season. What are we talking about? I mean, X factor. We are a thousand goals in the postseason. So yeah. Okay. Uh, we start after that with a crazy highlight from Major League Baseball last night: Rangers and Rays oh outfielder Eli White. Oh. Are you kidding? Insane me? hops. Comes up with the grab. Robs G-Man Choi from a three-run home run. The Rangers went on to win the game 9-5, uh, I guess in, in large part, to that catch. How impressive is that? That is ridiculously impressive. Did you know that Eli White was a shortstop in the minor leagues? Didn't and know he that. just did that? Didn't where, know that. Where does that rank in the great home run robbers that you have seen in your life? Like, let's watch it one more time again. Because you need to see how much he clears the wall by. Mm -hmm. We all dream of these catches. Some of us practice them with tennis rackets at fences in our neighborhood. Look, yeah, that's, like that's his absurd. entire upper body is up over that fence. Yeah. And he grabs it at 
his height of the jump. Like, it's ridiculous. Is that a shorter, it's a shorter fence than normal? A little bit? A little bit. But, yeah, it's not that, Jay's. That, I mean, that doesn't matter. It's not Kevin Pilar. That like, is matter. that better than Pilar's? Is Pilar's better? Before you answer, oh, yeah. before you answer, yeah. allow me to give you a refresher nice. oh, that's on where that's we're helpful. at. Kids these days, they don't know from joke, okay? Let's take you back. And I gotta give you, because do you even know about the Spider-Man catches? No. Do you know about the Japanese league history oh. behind Spider-Man catches? Because if you don't, Masasato Akamatsu and the OG Masafumi Yamamuri in 1981. Let's go back in the day. When I was young, I'm not a kid anymore, but some days I... This is Ivan Calderon, by the way. <laughs> Tiger Stadium, old school. What? <laughs> yeah. That's Calderon. He learned it. They don't build fences like that. You can't even do that. Not anymore. from this. This is Masasato Akamatsu. Yeah. That's the real. That's a. That's a nope. spider. Just wait. Just wait. He learned from this. This is Masaf Masafumi Yamamuri in '81. What? I mean, oh yeah, right back to back. Yeah, I mean, and the, the original one is is better when you put them side by side. Like that. <laughs> it puts it in perspective. Yeah, a little, a little bit. Yeah, the Pilar was still unbelievable. But yeah, <laughs> yeah you agree? The oh, original, without a doubt. The original doubt. one's like, no, OG it's not is really ridiculous. I mean, we've seen some great catches in the last little while. We've seen, I mean, this is extending, using the foot, full speed, adds a little something to I'm it. I'm actually kind of, I'm kind of taken aback. You want to see it again? I, I'm taken aback by the original ones and, and how much better they are than what we've come to know as the modern day Spider-Man catches. Like, Pilar's is sensational. So Calderon saw uh, Masafumi Yamamori do it in 81, and he did that at Tiger Stadium. Right. Now, this dude, Akamatsu, yeah, that has a couple. Like, this is one of, I think, three that he had, but this is just ridiculous. Yeah, this one makes no sense to me. One, two, like, the, the wherewithal and the awareness. Had to have practiced a hundred times. The audacity, the yeah. audacity to step up on the top of the wall. Anyone who grew up in my era remembers Mel Allen, This Week in Baseball, doing that catch. Yeah. And I love showing it to kids because they don't remember it. Wow. Outstanding. Great video. Uh, the Rangers beat the Hurricanes in Game 7 last night to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. Prior to the game, the NHL sent out a tweet asking fans to predict the winner of the game. What? As well as the final score. Where'd they get that from? Uh, Rangers forward Barkley Goudreau's father responded with the correct final score. <laughs> Timmy <laughs> should have used hashtag TF predict. Should he not have? Uh, look at that. Look at that. Again, a reminder, kids. Hashtag TF predict. Give us the final score. And we are. Oh, look at this. We were, trend, we were trending number one and we got bumped up by BTS, which I think is actually acceptable. Why right? did, they're why at the did White BTS House. go to the White House? I, I have no idea why they went, but the reality is they're All right, pretty we popular. Need to, <laughs> we need to take down BTS. And I know that's going to get us a lot of trolls on Twitter getting very mad, but we need hard uh, hashtag TF predict. We're giving away another one of these lovely hoodies tonight. Need to get the correct score. Need to have that hashtag. Good luck to us. That's that going to be tough. Does it for us, kids. A reminder, Hockey Central comes your way. 7.30 Eastern, 5.30 local in Alberta on Sportsnet. Ahead of game one of the Western Conference Final on Sportsnet. And CBC Jays and White Sox about to get going on Sportsnet 1. NXT later on Sportsnet 360. We appreciate you.
You could have been anywhere in the world. You chose to be here with us. We appreciate it.